Time to wake up. This is Nephi's warning to wake up. He sees our time. He sees the end of the world. He sees how his people need to be saved in the last days. He is trying so hard here in the last part of Nephi to get the reader to get it. And we're going to focus mainly in chapter 28, which is that really focal point uh, where he's like pounding the desk saying, wake up, darn it. But before we jump into 2 Nephi 28, we need the proper context and background to know what we're reading from Nephi from the beginning of the book of Nephi all the way to the end of the of the second book of Nephi. We have first and second Nephi in our scriptures, but you're going to see here that we have a sort of different idea um, with Nephi's record than maybe you've considered. And if you have, great. So let's jump here into Doctrine and Covenants. This is section 10. Now this is what the Lord tells Joseph after he loses the 116 pages of the manuscript. And what's so interesting here is how the Lord describes it. So let's pull this up. Starting in verse 38. And now verily I say unto you that an account of those things that you have written, the 116 manuscript pages, which have gone out of your hands, is engraven upon the plates of Nephi. Yea, and you remember it was said in those writings that a more particular account was given of these things upon the plates of Nephi. And now because the account which is engraven upon the plates of Nephi is more particular concerning the things which in my wisdom I would bring to the knowledge of the people in this account, therefore you shall translate the engravings which are on the plates of Nephi down even till you come to the reign of King Benjamin or until you come to that which you have translated, which you have retained. And so he's talking here, He's talking about here about the small plates of Nephi. That's what the Lord's talking about here. The small plates of Nephi is like, this is what I want you to do. Take the small plates of Nephi because notice right here what we just read in verse 40. In my wisdom, this was the Lord's wisdom for the small plates of Nephi to help give us the, the most critical information that we needed uh, from the time of Lehi until the time of King Benjamin. The small plates of Lehi, the small plates of Nephi took care of that because that's what was lost. So, it says, you remember that the small plates of Nephi still have the same information, but it's a very truncated version. Um, so verse 41 there, now verse 42. And behold, you shall publish it as the record of Nephi. And thus I'll confound those who fall to my words. The record of Nephi. Interesting here. Look at this. So the Lord says publish it as the record of Nephi, which we did. But interestingly, for whatever reason, they decided to publish it as... Uh, first and second Nephi. But what I want to point out here from, from this, what the Lord's saying, is kind of this idea that we have Nephi's record. And Nephi's record is like one main big sermon, one long, you know, from the first Nephi chapter one all the way to 2 Nephi 33 is just one continuous story or message, rather. I'm going to say message instead of story because we get 
we get the story of coming over, leaving Jerusalem, all that stuff, etc. He starts off by giving us the context um, of of Lehi and Jerusalem and the context of the destruction of Jerusalem. Of Jeru. Okay, that's where we start off. Okay, and then in the middle of that, we get Lehi's dream, the vision of the tree of life. And then right after that, we get Nephi's vision of the same thing, but uh, highly expanded. And then from there, as he's telling us the vision, the angel stops him and the angel tells him, whoa, whoa, you can't keep explaining all this because it's given to John the Revelator to do it, which is the book of Revelation. So what does Nephi do? Of course, right after that, he talks about going back and, and explaining to his brothers, and they start asking some questions, and Nephi starts to explain some of it. But in the big picture, in this big picture of Nephi's record, instead of continuing to tell us plainly, which the angel for, forbade, he starts to quote Isaiah, who saw the same stuff, okay? So in, in quoting Isaiah, then we get essentially for a huge chunk, a huge chunk of the rest of this is him quoting Isaiah, which, by the way, notice that by quoting Isaiah, it's all about the destruction of of the people back then and in the end times. So Nephi tries to connect all of this here at the end for the end times, which is us today. Now, of course, we get some of that back here in his vision as well when the, when the angel, of course, stops Nephi. This is important because if we don't understand this, we're not going to properly absorb the context. Now, uh, I don't have time to go into the original division of chapters, but we have a fantastic uh, presentation done already by Malia Bond on that subject. So for a deep dive on that, uh, please check out uh, Malia Bond's presentation on, on that. And I can't think of it at the moment, but if you search uh, the podcast articles, episodes for Malia Bond, you will see that. And it's fantastic and help see uh, or help show here what I'm talking about as she dives into some of these chapters from that context. But this is enough perspective to help us say, okay, Nephi's main gist is to help us understand how what happened back in his day with Jerusalem and its destruction, that he saw our destruction would parallel it just like Isaiah prophesied in the entire book of Isaiah. So Nephi quotes Isaiah, and we get some interesting differences and additions that we don't have in the King James that we do get uh, from Nephi, which is really helpful. And then also we get a little bit from uh, his brother Jacob in in here, and and Jacob's also quoting Isaiah. So it's under Second uh, Nephi nine. We get a great sermon from Jacob. And then uh, Jacob also quotes Isaiah. They're trying to give this perspective. Now, this is helping us. So as we jump into 2 Nephi 28, which is right in the middle of Nephi concluding everything that he said, then we have the proper context, where we are, what we're talking about. So 
bef- um, right before 28, interestingly, chapter 27 was all about uh, quoting from Isaiah 29. So it's it's really curious because Nephi 28 is really similar to Isaiah 28. And yet right before it, he's actually quoting 29. So Nephi kind of flip-flopped that a little bit. Even though 2 Nephi 28 is Nephi's own words, it parallels a lot from Isaiah 28. So just FYI. And in uh, Maliaban's presentation does an excellent job pointing out some of those things. Wish we had time for that. We don't. We don't even have time to dive into everything here. So this is kind of like a, a highlight reel of some of the things that Nephi is trying to get us to do, um, including this notion of waking up. So look right here, one chapter back, starting in 2 Nephi 27, verse 4 and 5. So this is from Isaiah 29, um, Nephi's version. For behold, all ye that do that doeth iniquity, stay yourselves and wonder, for ye shall cry out and cry. Yea, ye shall be drunken, but not with wine. Ye shall stagger, but not with strong drink. Um, this right here, drunken, not with wine, stagger, not with strong drink. This comes from Isaiah 28, and this is here, Isaiah 29. So it's he's connecting this idea of being drunk. Now look here. For behold, the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. Deep sleep. This is a theme that we're going to see a lot of. For behold, ye have closed your eyes, and ye have rejected the prophets and your rulers, and the seers hath ye covered because of your iniquity. Now, I'm going to switch really quickly to the Isaiah Institute translation of these same verses. So over here we have the comparison with the King James, like we just read, although we read Nephi's version of the King James, essentially, so to speak. Uh, But look here, procrastinate and become bewildered. Preoccupy yourselves until you cry for help. Interesting. And then look here, be drunk, but not with wine, stagger, but not from strong drink. And then the kicker, Jehovah has poured out on you a spirit of deep sleep. And then look at the slight change here. He has shut your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. So that's actually a little bit different. A little bit different uh, take. And explains it a little bit better, giving us some more context for this. Now, also, right at the beginning of 2 Nephi, in 2 Nephi chapter 1, verses uh, 13 through 15, look at this idea. We see it. Oh, that ye would... Now, of course, this sorry, this is Lehi, but Nephi's quoting him, and Nephi wants to make sure to include it. So it's even though this is quoting Lehi, Nephi's father, it's still Nephi's message to us. Um, and that's important to understand. Oh, yeah, the, that ye would awake. There it is. Awake from a deep sleep. Yea, even from the sleep of hell. And this is exactly what Nephi is trying to do when we read uh, 2 Nephi 28. Awake from the deep sleep of hell. Shake off the awful chains by which you're bound, which are the chains which bind the children of men, that they are carried away captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. Now, right here, carried away captive, we are going to see this very idea repeat in in 2 Nephi 28. In fact, um, let's skip down there. So coming down in the chapter, verse 21, thus the devil cheats their souls and leadeth them carefully down to hell. There it is. And then right in the next verse, 
until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. So, so Nephi is referring to the same notion here that he heard from Lehi. Captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. Awake and arise from the dust and hear the words of a trembling parent whose limbs you must soon lay down in the cold and silent grave from whence no traveler can return. A few more days and they go the way of the all of the earth. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed, and here it is, but behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Lehi's testament to how the doctrine of Jesus Christ has saved him. Lehi has received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Lehi has entered into the rest of the Lord, which rest is his presence in the fullness of his glory. So has Nephi and Jacob, by the way. So here, this theme of awakening and coming out of this sleep, we can see a lot of this in the scriptures anytime we, uh, not just the word sleep, but the idea of nighttime. Uh, this drunken is the same idea, just like being out of it that drunken idea. Um, also darkness, when we talk a lot about darkness, we're going to see that as well. In fact, well, we'll get to that in a second. We get, have another cross-reference for that. So as we're approaching 2 Nephi 28, and we start to read it from the top, and the real big question on my mind as I talk to people is, who is Nephi talking to? Who's he talking to? Because if it's if it's to us, then we should pay attention, right? Who is he talking to? But that's not enough to answer. We have to also know who is he talking about? Who is Nephi talking about? Well, as we read it, we're going to have some interesting answers. Now, first and foremost, I think most people would say, He's talking to us, the reader, and that's usually pretty obvious, and most people nod their head and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can totally agree and jump on board with that. Now, but who is he talking about? People usually come in here and say, those other guys, the sinners, the bad guys, and that's not me because the reader is clearly good. Those other guys, the bad guys. Now this, I do want to challenge a little bit, but let's jump in here for a quick second and see kind of what's going on. So, behold, my brethren, I've spoken unto you according as the Spirit constrained me. I know that they must surely come to pass. And, on, and the things which shall be written out of the book, referred to that he just quoted from Isaiah 29, shall be of great worth unto the children of men, and especially unto our seed, which is a remnant of the house of Israel. For it shall come to pass in that day, and then here's where we start to wonder. In that day that the churches which are built up and not unto the Lord, when one shall say unto the other, Behold, I, I am the Lord's. And others shall say, I, I am the Lord's. And thus everyone say that hath built up churches not unto the Lord. Okay, right now we start to have this idea of the context of the time of restoration when Joseph was confused about everyone's claiming that they're of the Lord and yet... Uh, the Lord told him that none of them were. And so we say, okay, that's what he's talking about. All right, sure, that, def that definitely fits, and I can buy that. However, uh, I'm going to suggest something that some people like to kick back against and say, no, he's not talking about this. He's talking about uh, the churches 
that are supposed to be the Lord's, meaning the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So in the scriptures, when we hear when we hear the phrase churches, um, in other places that's not Nephi, it's actually referring to congregations. Okay, so when we see churches, and we see it in the Doctrine and Covenants, we see it in the book of Revelations. Um, churches, plural, for example, uh, section 101. And this is just a, a quick example, and it happens it happens all the time. And, and when we see that, it starts to say, well, wait, is Nephi using the same context? I believe he is. So 63... Again, I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all of the churches, inasmuch as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation. This is congregations, congregations of the church. That's what it means by the churches. Uh, and we also see that, like I said, in, in the book of Revelations. And let's pull that one up real quick. Uh, Revelation, sorry, uh, from John, the Revelator, uh, chapter 3. So, verse 6, just take a look real quick. We have lots of examples. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And then he goes and he starts to specify the church in Philadelphia, the, the church here, the church there, as he goes through each of these congregations, and he keeps repeating it unto the churches. Uh, he keeps saying the same thing over and over again, unto the churches. Now, which churches? It's the congregations, okay? So, the congregations of... The church. Now that then right here creates a different spin. Now, what helps is to understand that when Isaiah is fulfilled, Isaiah will, well, the prophecy of Isaiah is that it's showing that all the things that have been will repeat again in the end times. So even though this did happen in Joseph's day. What we just read in verse 3, this totally happened in Joseph's day. Like I said, it does fit, but it's a type for what would come at the end days. So people read this say, well, it's talking about all the other churches, not the church of the Lord, because this is the true and living church on the face of the earth. Well, he's talking about us. He's talking about the congregations of the church. Now, it's like, well, no, he's not, because look at the evil, and they'll contend one with another, and their priests shall contend one with another. And they shall teach with their learning and deny the Holy Ghost, which gives utterance. Yeah, that's pretty serious. That's a pretty serious allegation to say that he's going to do that. And they deny the power of God. There it is again. Yeah, this is bad stuff. Why would, why would our church do this? The Holy One of Israel, and they say unto the people, hearken unto us. They who? They say? The churches? Well, he just, no, right here, they're priests. The priests, these are the leaders, the leaders of the, of the churches. Priests, priests always referring to leaders. In fact, uh, if you jump over here to Malachi 2, Malachi is all about prophesying in the end days. And and uh, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi. And in the very top of here, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you, the teachers. Okay, so hearken unto us, hear our precept, for what we say is the word of the Lord, at least according to what they're saying here. 
Are you catching my drift? For behold, there is no God today, for the Lord and the Redeemer hath done his work, and he hath given his power unto men, meaning you have to go through men to be saved. His power is given unto men, his power of salvation. That's what the power of the Lord is for. Look right here. Um, they'll deny the power of God. We're going to see that again later in the chapter. Behold, hearken unto my precept. And if they say there's a miracle wrought by the hand of the Lord, don't believe it. Don't believe what you hear about miracles. For today he's not a God of miracles, he hath done his work. And it's like, wait, our church doesn't say that. Well, Nephi's paraphrasing here, by the way. He's paraphrasing the attitude, the overall attitude. Okay? So, and then we have this interesting scripture. There are many who will say, eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die, it'll be well with us because we are the chosen people of the Lord. And when you add that, it makes a lot of sense. And there will also be many which shall say in a slightly different manner, eat, drink, and be merry, but fear God. He'll justify in committing a little sin, lie a little, take advantage of one because of his words, dig a pit for thy neighbor. There's no harm in this because it's not that grievous. And do all these things for tomorrow we die. And if it so be we're guilty, God who's so merciful, he'll just beat us with a few stripes. And at last we'll be saved in the kingdom of God. God's too merciful to kick us out over a little sin. He'll He'll slap our wrists and say, okay, don't do that anymore. But Nephi says, there'll be many that teach after this manner, false, vain, foolish doctrines, and be puffed up in their hearts and seek deep to hide their counsels from the Lord. And their work shall be in the dark. Interesting. Hide their counsels from the Lord, works be in the dark. Now, Nephi saying this, he already read in chapters 26 and 27, 2 uh, Nephi 26, 27, the idea of their works being in the dark and the dark works and evil works that they're doing, which is really curious. And the blood of the saints cry from the ground against them. Interesting. But look here. Yea, they have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted. Now, they have become corrupted, end time context, becoming corrupted. Now, again, we still go back to who is Nephi talking to? He's talking to us, but who's he talking about? Everyone else. He's talking about everyone else, right? He's talking about everyone else because to say we've all gone corrupted, that's pretty all out of the way, all corrupted. This is pretty serious allegation because if it's about us, then this means some major repentance, major, major repentance is needed. Well, let's see, because he's quoting here, all gone out of the way, he's quoting stuff from Isaiah, and we just read an example of that even from Malachi, who wasn't alive at this moment yet, but um, ye... You priests, now Malachi is not, Malachi is talking to the people of the Lord. You priests, you're departed out of the way, and you've caused many to stumble at the law. Interesting. So that's what Malachi said that we just read. But let's go and look at, uh, this is 2 Nephi 12, but he's quoting um, from Isaiah chapter 2, okay? So verses 5 to 12. O house of Jacob, any if there's any doubt about who he's talking to or about, it's really clear here. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Yea, come. So let us let us walk in the light of the Lord, because you're not. Yea, come, for ye have all gone astray. Everyone to his wicked ways. There it is. 
And this is Isaiah, which means it's an end time context, which means it's us. It's talking about us today. It can't be about someone else. So don't read 2 Nephi 28 and fall into the trap and say, this is talking to me about those other guys, about all those other religious denominations who are all out of the way, but not my, not me and my church. No, Bullhunky. And he already called out the priests who are the leaders. And then it's saying all, which includes me. Therefore, O Lord, thou hast forsaken thy people. There it is. Thou hast forsaken thy people. So at some point, we have to come to the realization that God has forsaken us or will have forsaken us. In what context? Well, that's the good question. And that's a question that uh, we don't have time to completely go into, but it's answered by Isaiah and it's answered through the parable of the redemption of Zion uh, in and also uh, Mark Curtis's presentation on how, where, when, and why the LDS churches were condemned. Uh, a lot of that stuff is answered through those other podcasts. So take a look at it for a deeper dive. However, that's what this is referring to. Thou hast forsaken the people. So if you want to argue and say, no, God is with us. Well, Isaiah doesn't say so. So who's right? You or Isaiah? I pick Isaiah personally over you with all due respect. And I pick Isaiah personally over any uh, leader of the church who might say that God hasn't forsaken us because Isaiah says, yes, he has the house of Jacob, Israel, those who would call themselves because they be replenished from the east. What does that mean? Well, they're hearkening to soothsayers like the Philistines. They please themselves in the children of strangers. What? Okay. How about this? Their land is also full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures that's full of horses, neither any end of their chariots or their cars and their vehicles, all their possessions, the worldly possessions. Their land is also full of idols. Look at this. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. They love things and they love their own works, the work of their own hands. Things their fingers have made. This was totally me He's describing me and how my heart was totally in Babylon. Uh, even as recent as um, just a little over a year and a half ago. Totally, totally, totally. So I, I'm seeing myself here, and I think we hopefully all can see ourselves. And the mean man bows not down, and the great man humbles himself not. Therefore, forgive him not. This is a clearer statement than um, the King James Version, Second Nephi 12. So that's what's great about Nephi's. The mean man won't bow down. The great man humbles himself not. Now, who's he talking about here? Oh, he's not talking about us. Yes, he is. This whole thing is about us. This whole thing is, is oh, house of Jacob. So there's mean men in the church that aren't bowing down. There's great men in the church that won't humble themselves. So don't forgive them. They won't receive forgiveness. Oh, ye wicked ones who are the house of Jacob, enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust. You better hide. For the fear of the Lord and the glory of his majesty shall smite thee. You're about to be smitten, so you better go hide. And it shall come to pass that the lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men who are of the house of Jacob shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. What day is this? In that day that he comes to do his destruction. Well, let's take a look. Um, verily I say unto you, here it is, darkness. There's this idea of sleeping in darkness. 112, 23 to 26. Darkness covers the earth. And gross darkness covers the minds of the people. 
it's 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 uh it's truncated so he left out the verb but he's referring to the same verb darkness covers the earth and gross darkness covers the minds of the people and all flesh has become corrupt there it is again all has become corrupt well not me not us not the true church of god well okay behold vengeance comes speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth a day there it is in that day what we just read in that day in second nephi 12 well here it is a day of wrath a day of burning, a day of desolation, a day of weeping, a day of mourning, a day of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And just in case you think you're exempt, upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, says the Lord, who have professed to know my name, and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. You haven't known me. To say you haven't known me is the same thing that the Lord says to the foolish virgins who come late at the door of the wedding feast and the Lord opens it. And he says, you never knew me. Now, that's from the uh, Joseph Smith translation, the inspired version, because in the King James, he says, I never knew you. Mm, overall, same diff, but it's actually you never knew me, which is a specific reference to to the gospel, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. To get that promise of eternal life, we must ascend through the gospel by receiving the baptism of water, and then fire, and of the Holy Ghost, and then proceed to do the will of the Lord, whatever he tells us, so that we can part the veil and enter into his presence, which is the rest of the Lord, which presence is the fullness of his glory, and see his face in this life, and receive that promise of eternal life for ourselves, that is the idea of you never knew me like you haven't obeyed my gospel so you're not a part of this and then check out what he adds to that you haven't known me and you've blasphemed against me in the midst of my house or the midst of my people that's my house my people and that context is given right here upon my people it shall begin upon my house in the midst of my people you've blasphemed saith the lord blaspheme meaning you you've You've been using my name. You've been saying all these things in my name, but yet it's not really in my name. So if you want a good idea of how you've blasphemed in the midst of the house, check out uh, Jeremiah 23 for further study or the uh, presentation uh, I gave several weeks back on uh, does, the, does God allow uh, a prophet to lead us astray? An interesting uh, presentation. There we dive into a lot of scriptures. So this context from chapter uh, 12 of second Nephi or rather from from Isaiah the Lord the Lord alone will be exalted in this day of all that destruction and then here we go for the day of the Lord of hosts soon cometh upon all nations so the day of the Lord the day of the Lord is the day of judgment that's what the day of the Lord is. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of wrath, the day of weeping, the day of burning, the day of all those things that we just read in section 112. The day of the Lord of hosts soon cometh upon the nations, yea, upon everyone. So this sounds like, oh yeah, upon everyone else, all the bad guys. Well, but but he's talking about, oh, Jacob. Oh, Jacob, you're in trouble. Right, oh Jacob, oh house of Jacob, right there. And then we just read from section 112, upon my house, upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth. So there's no doubt in my mind. Yea, upon everyone, yea, upon the proud and lofty, upon everyone who's lifted up, and he shall be brought low. So there's a lot of pride going on 
in the church with us. A lot of pride with us. So all gun corrupted, all out of the way. Uh, and, and to parallel, as I said, with Isaiah 28, here is Isaiah 28, 7. Now, again, we're looking right here, 28, 11, all have gone out of the way, all have become corrupted. Well, we were thinking maybe it was talking about all the other churches. Not so. Isaiah 28. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. Who's out of the way? Priest and prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err or make mistake in vision. They stumble in judgment. Or if we again look briefly at the um, Gileadi translation, verse 7. This is uh, the Isaiah Institute translation by Avram Gileadi. These two have indulged in wine. They are giddy with strong drink. And then look at the look how it uses a colon here instead of a semicolon, which connects the phrases a little more clearly than the King James does. These have indulged in wine and getting strong drink. Well, who? Well, these right here, priests and prophets, they've gone astray through liquor and they're intoxicated with wine and they stagger because of strong drink. Interesting there. And they err as seers. They blunder in their decisions. And that connects with uh, Isaiah 29, 9 and 10 that we just read. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not from strong drink. Jehovah has poured out upon you spirit of deep sleep. He's shut your eyes, the prophets. He's covered your heads, the seers. Interesting. Covered your heads. You can't see anything. Isn't that curious? Oh, I forgot to pull that up here on the screen. So that, that was right here in 2 Nephi 28, verse 7. Sorry, I was showing you this. The use of the colon. Giddy with strong drink, who? The priests and the prophets have gone astray. They're the ones. They're the ones intoxicated, intoxicated with wine. The Erisiers blunder in their decisions. Well, this changes the context quite a bit. And that's this is from Isaiah. And, I, and Isaiah is what Nephi's been spending all of his time quoting. He's been spending the bulk of his time quoting Isaiah or talking about Isaiah or giving commentary, rather, on Isaiah. This is what Nephi's been doing this whole time. So, if that can situate us properly, okay, yeah, oh, there we are, 28. Then we can now say, okay, well, maybe he is talking about us. Well, okay, how about if I skip down really quick? We have verse 21, which we looked at a um, little bit ago, that they, these same people that he's talking about this entire chapter, they will say, all's well in Zion. So I want to know, if it's supposed to be talking about the other churches, then how are they going to say all's well in Zion? If it's If it's talking about these other guys here, then how are they saying all's well in Zion? It's all is well in Zion. That's us. Well, some people will say, okay, well, then that just means that that just means that by the time Nephi gets to 21, he's talking about um, now he's talking about us. Well, that's really curious because as he keeps going, 
he says, he summarizes, therefore, woe be unto him that cities in Zion. Woe be unto him that says all is well. And as he summarizes, look at what he links here. Yea, woe be unto him that hearkens to the precepts of men, which we read at the beginning of the chapter, and denies the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. So right here towards the end of the chapter, it's almost like a chiasm, which is very Isaiah-esque, because back here towards the beginning was what he was saying. He said, they deny the Holy Ghost. So there's that one. Deny the power of God. There's that one. And listen to the precepts of men. Hearken to our precepts. Hear our precept. Hearken to my precept. See that? So that beginning of the chapter, he comes back to that same idea. Woe be unto those that do that and do these things. And right in between it, he's talking about this, those who's ease in Zion. So, so this idea is cemented that Nephi is talking about us, not only to us. We clear on that? Hopefully we're clear on that. Because if you don't believe that he's talking about you, then you're not going to absorb it. You're not going to feast upon the words and apply it to yourself, which interestingly, interestingly enough, Nephi had to drop that same bomb on his brothers in 1 Nephi 19 because they weren't getting it either. And at the end of the chapter, look at this. This is what this is all about. I did read many things which were in the books of, Mo in the books of Moses, but that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord their Redeemer and to freaking repent because they were knuckleheads. I read many things written by Isaiah. For I did liken all scriptures unto us, that it might be for a prophet and learning. Now, back in the day, likening scriptures, it's like, oh, well, it's not really about you, but you should just pretend that it's about you so that you learn. Well, at the very least, we could do that with Isaiah, uh, with uh, 2 Nephi 28. However, this is just a soft play. Like, well, at least just imagine that it's about you so that you can learn from it. But actually, it is about you, you knuckleheads. People like Laman and Lemuel were the reason that Jerusalem was becoming destroyed, which means. Which means I'm more like Laman and Lemuel than I am like Nephi, which means all of us are more like Laman and Lemuel than we are like Nephi. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. I'm not like Nephi. I haven't had these great visions of the end of the world. But I think I'm righteous. Well, Laman and Lemuel thought that they were like, well, how come you're leading us out and you're crazy just like dad? And 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 behold, we know that uh, everyone in Jerusalem was a righteous people because they kept the commandments of God, which at the time was centered around the law of Moses. They keep the commandments of God and they worship in their temples and they give their sacrifices and they don't do anything wrong. That sounds a lot like us. We're the people of the Lord. We're the chosen people of the Lord. We got his church. We're the only true and living church in the world. We got our prophet. We do everything that we're supposed to do. And so we're good. So no destruction is coming upon us. Oh, hmm, really? No destruction is coming upon us? You think so? Upon my house shall begin. So you want to keep telling yourself that lie. You're going to be in this sleep which Nephi is talking about here in 2 Nephi 28. This sleep is exactly what he means in verse 21 that we read, lull them away into carnal security. Lull. Well, the whole purpose of a lullaby is to lull you to sleep. Okay? Lull them away into carnal security. So... Lull them away. So we got a lullaby. We say lullaby, but it's lullaby. Lullaby. So we have sleep. That almost looks like sheep. 
Right. So again, the idea of sleep and needing to wake up is given again, even here. He'll lull them away into carnal security. Now, um, now the reason why I'm jumping around is because it's it's important when you have these structures where you have stuff here at the beginning, you have stuff here at the end and stuff here in the middle, and they all intersect and connect. This is how we search the scriptures diligently. As Jesus said, we had to do with Isaiah. And that's how Isaiah is composed. And Nephi has a lot of Isaiah elements. Nephi obviously uh, looks up to Isaiah and he understands his words. And he tells us that he understands the way that he writes in the manner of the Jews. He tells us all that stuff. And when you look closely, you see it in action. We just saw some examples of that. So that means that if you really want to understand things, you can't just read it from beginning to end and say, okay, there we go. You have to be able to read it, get an idea, read it again, start to find things searching, meaning look for clues, look for pieces that, that repeat themselves, patterns, finding other connections from other scriptures or statements. We found the connection from a statement from his father that he included in 2 Nephi 1. But if we remember that it's not about all these individual chapters. No, no, no. Nephi wrote this whole thing. Nephi wrote this whole thing, as we talked about, towards the end of his life, later on in his life. Nephi wrote this whole record, Nephi's record. His more, uh, his more daily diary type of writing was in the large plates, which was what Joseph Smith lost with the 160 manuscript pages. This was a record that later in Nephi's life, the Lord commands him to write. So Nephi says, okay, well, let me give you the overall gist. Uh, here's what happened. We left Jerusalem and all that. So Nephi's talking as if it is already basically all done. He's towards the end of his life. And he says, I, need, I have a big message, one continuous message for you. And that is, you're all going to be destroyed. Here's how you can be saved. That's Nephi's message to us, the Gentiles, um, the Gentiles that have the book that's reading it, not all those other Gentiles that'll never read it. Why would Nephi waste his time carving out all this stuff in these plates to people who'd never read it? No, he's talking to us, those who have the book, those who are reading it. Here's what you need to do, you Gentiles, and also my brethren, the Lamanites. Uh, this is what you're going to do. That's his message. You see it here. This is Nephi in a nutshell. And uh, I could probably add some other interesting highlights along the way, but this is the overall gist. So if we want to understand it, we've got to approach it from this macro view and then get down and find some of these hints that he's dropped along the way. And that once we get to the last several chapters of Nephi, he brings all these ideas together, stuff that he's talked about from the beginning in first Nephi and stuff that he's talked about at the beginning of a second Nephi. It's all just the record of Nephi. And I almost think that we would capture that if, uh, if we just had the book of Nephi with all the stuff in addition to uh, the chapter divisions. So with this context in mind, now we can skip back and go through where we left off, which was verse 11. So they, the house of Jacob, have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted. Oh, this is dangerous. Because of pride, because of false teachers. So the house of Jacob has false teachers. Well, who's in charge of teaching the house of Jacob? You answer that question. Look at this. False doctrine. No way. Not in my church. Their churches or congregations have become corrupted. And their congregations are lifted up. Because of pride, they're puffed up. Oh, they rob 
they rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. Oh, now it's making sense. Fine sanctuaries. They rob, well, what, what money is used to build the fine sanctuaries? And then research how Joseph Smith said that money was originally supposed to be used. And there's a little bit for further study there. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing. Oh, so curious. They rob. They persecute the meek and the poor in heart because of the pride they're puffed up. Well, we cannot read this robbing the poor without reading from Malachi. When Malachi talked about those who rob, and that's in Malachi chapter 3. Well, the book of Malachi is just four chapters. It's just a, it's just a prophecy of Malachi. It's not four little prophecies. So that's the problem with verse and chapter divisions is you have to be able to see the bigger picture. And we were here in Malachi 2. This is right in the middle of his preaching or his, his uh, prophecy and warning, which again, Malachi's, Malachi's talking about his day, but then he's also talking about the end times. He's talking about both simultaneously. Okay. So remember that. So at the beginning of chapter two, he says, and now a priest, this commandment is for you. Well, interestingly, he's talking about the priests or the teachers of the, of the churches, those who are in charge of the house of Jacob. So you connect the dots who that's talking about. And he goes and goes and goes and he's talking to them and he keeps reiterating it here. Like we just mentioned earlier and he keeps going. This is important because we get to chapter three. You've weird the Lord with your words. Yet you say, who's he talking to? He's still talking to the priests. You've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, well, where have we wearied him? Look at this language. This language continues in chapter three. Chapter two and three should not be divided. They should be the same chapter. It should all just be chapter two. It should be Malachi chapters one, two, and three. And chapters two and three currently should be combined together. And then you'll understand it. So you say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Look at this. Look at this. There's no harm in this. Everyone that does good, everyone that does evil is actually fine in the sight of the Lord. You're saying everything is fine. What is that talking about? That's talking about what we said here in 2 Nephi 28 that we read right here. Nah, nevertheless, fear God. He'll justify this. You're all fine. God beat us with a few stripes and at last we're saved. Look at this. It's all the same stuff. Everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them or where is the God of judgment? So then he continues in chapter three. I'll send my messenger whom you seek. He'll come, suddenly come to the temple. Who can abide the day of his coming? Um, refiner, purifier, silver. So skip. And then we see, uh, again, therefore, you sons of Jacob, not consumed, talking about being saved. So this is actually talking about the end time servant who's supposed to come, uh, who Nephi also talks about at the end of second Nephi 28. My messenger is right here. Mine arm from Isaiah. The messenger is the arm. My arm is lengthened unto them from day to day. And I will be merciful to them. Mine arm is lengthened out all the day. So Nephi talks about this messenger. And right here, the Lord talks about the messenger. But then look at this. Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances. So Malachi is just like Isaiah talking about his time and our time. So from the days of our fathers. So now it's given us a time reference of, of where and how we've gone astray. Again, 
I talk about the parable of the redemption of Zion. Seek out those podcasts. But that's what he's talking about here. From the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and haven't kept them. What? Return unto me and I'll return unto you. We've heard that so many times. But you said, wherein shall we return? So now we have the continuance of the statements, do this. But you said, well, what do you mean? Where shall we turn? How have we gone astray? We haven't gone astray. You see that? So that's that's continuing from the end of chapter two. It's still talking to the priests. Well, wherein shall we return? Well, how about we start here? Will a man rob God? Well, they shouldn't, but you've robbed me. And you say, well, where have we robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings. Well, I wasn't spelling it out, but now Malachi's spelling it out. So if we come back here, they rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. Well, what do what does our church use to build the fine sanctuaries? So we're robbing the poor. Well, interestingly, you'll note that tithing was originally instituted for the cause of the poor from Joseph and Oliver when they revealed it. Uh, and for further study, go check that out. But here he's saying that, and Malachi continues to say, to who has robbed them? Well, who's he talking to here? He's talking to the priests, the teachers, which we saw here because of false teachers. Those who are leading and teaching us are false. Interesting. Giving us false doctrine. Who's in charge of giving us doctrine? Their churches, the congregations that they oversee, are corrupted. They're lifted up. So crazy. So let's continue here. You're cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me. So look at this. The tithes should go to the storehouse, and the storehouses for taking care of the poor. Say the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you a blessing, there shall not be enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Which devour? The day of mourning, the day of burning, the day of all this stuff. So so we're in, to we're in trouble. We're toast. Literally. If we don't fix this. So back here to 2 Nephi 28. So robbing the poor because of the fine sanctuaries, persecuting the meek. They wear stiff necks and high heads, yea, because of pride, wickedness, abominations, whoredoms. They've all gone astray. And then here, look at this. Save it be a few, and he literally means a few, who are the humble followers of Christ. But even those people, the humble followers of Christ, are also led in many instances, they mess up and err and go out of the way because they're taught by the precepts of men and they need to wake up. Oh, the wise and the learned. So, oh, is like, oh, pay attention. The wise, the learned, the rich, that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts, and all those who preach false doctrines, and all those who commit whoredoms. Oh, wow. And pervert the right way of the Lord. Woe, woe, woe be unto them, saith the Lord God Almighty, for they shall be thrust down to hell. So this is a warning to the saints. Woe unto them that turn aside the just for the thing of naught, and revile against that which is good. Reviling against that which is good. Isaiah talked about this. And say it's of no worth. Interesting. What is good? What is good and what is of the greatest worth? The pearl of great price, which are which are the words of the Lord, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that in the days um, of Nephi, son of Nephi, we see this in 3 Nephi chapter 2. We see this very same thing happened in his time. So after the sign was given of Jesus' birth, people were like, ah, and they were all humbled, and they started to repent. They're like, oh my gosh, God is real. But then, look at this, 3 Nephi chapter 2, 
And it came to pass that after the 90 and fifth year, also the people began to forget the signs and wonders. Oh, they're not, oh, yeah, forgetting, which they had they had heard and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, meaning they still had signs and wonders, but they were like, eh, whatever, which has happened in our day. We've had a lot of signs lately, and people are like, meh, they're nothing, including a grand teacher. Insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts, blind in their minds, just like Isaiah said, and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen. So now they're not even believing what they originally thought. And look, imagining up some vain thing in their hearts that it was wrought by men and the power of the devil to lead away and deceive the hearts of the people. So they're accusing the work of God to be the work of the devil. This is happening today. The work of God, as it goes forth, will be accused of being the work of Satan, just like Jesus was accused of being Satan himself or working with the devil or doing all the things of the devil. It's always going to be that way. Satan will always get the Lord's people to say, um, yeah, don't be telling me this stuff. This is from the devil. It happens all the time. Look, it happened here. Okay, look at this. And thus Satan got possession of the hearts of the children again, or hearts of the people, just like we saw in 2 Nephi 28. In so much that he did blind their eyes and lead them away. Whoa, there's that that phrase again, just like we read in, in 28. Lead them away to what? To believe that the doctrine of Christ was a foolish and a vain thing. See this? The doctrine of Christ, how we become born again sons and daughters through baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost through the power of God. Foolish and vain thing. This connects what Nephi is saying here. They will revile against that which is good, or in other words, against that which is true, which we're going to see here in just a second, and say it's of no worth. That it's a vain thing. Isn't that crazy? There it is, right in front of us. For the day shall come that Lord of God, Lord God will speedily visit the inhabitants of the earth. Whoa, there it is. Speedily visit the inhabitants of the earth. The same here. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth. Well, where does that start? With my house of Jacob. Upon the inhabitants of the earth. And in that day that they are fully ripe in iniquity, they shall perish. So um, obviously we haven't perished yet. So we're clearly not fully ripe, but we're getting there. But behold, if the inhabitants of the earth shall repent of their wickedness and abominations, they shall not be destroyed, saith the Lord of hosts. Interesting. So if we would repent, we wouldn't be destroyed. But behold, that great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth, must tumble to the earth, and great must be the father of. So that does exist, and we will destroy that. For the kingdom of the devil, which exists now, must shake, and they which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance. Well, look at this phrase here. Because if we're trying to say, who is this about? Who is it about? Well, we just had a phrase, stir up unto repentance. And you can't stir up something that wasn't there already. So if you have, if you have a glass of water and it has contents in it, and they're all at the bottom, then when you stir up that water, it starts to whirl around those contents so that they are stirred up. Meaning that the contents were already there. You can't stir up a people to repentance if 
the notion of doing the will of the Lord was already there in their cup. In other words, the notion's already before them. In other words, they're the house of Jacob. They're the people of the Lord, and they need to be stirred up under repentance. This is another evidence, a strong evidence, that Nephi is talking about us, the house of the Lord, the whole time. And they which so that means some of us, or most of us, as we've been reading, belong to the kingdom of the devil, which is a scary thing. And the only way to not belong to the kingdom of the devil is to enter through the gate through the doctrine of Christ, which Nephi gets to in a couple of chapters. Stirred up under repentance, so that's us. Or the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains. There it is again, and they will be and they be stirred up to anger and perish. So so the anger, which is the devil inside them, we're going to get stirred up. Because look here, for behold, at that day, at that same time that we're talking about, this same time frame, shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men and stir them up to anger against that which is good. So we just saw that idea of the good up here against that which is good and say it's of no worth. It's a foolish and vain thing. That which is good is the doctrine of Christ. And others will he pacify and lull them away. So pacify like a pacifier, getting them to fall asleep. Carnal security. Look at this carnal security. This is security and safety. Security and safety, which are our idols. We have to give up our idols of, of comfort and safety. This carnal security. This, uh, this, this evil deed that's going and being stuck in people's arms is giving everyone carnal security, a false sense of security, a false sense of safety from a plague which will wreak havoc because the Lord will wreak havoc upon the earth and no no needle in anyone's arm is going to protect them from that. Um, so others will pacify, lulling into carnal security, and they will say, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. So this is the same notion... All is well in Zion, Zion prospereth, all is well. This is the same notion where uh, Jesus says that in that day people will say, my Lord delayeth his coming. Meaning it's not, we are not at the gates of the day of vengeance. We are not at the gates of the second coming. That's 40 years from now, 50 years from now. How many of you have friends or family that say that? I hear all the time. We are not at that time yet. Yes, we are. The signs are there. The signs in the heavens, the signs on earth, in the scriptures, they're pointing at everything. It's now. It's now. It's not later. But people are saying, well, Zion's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And so the devil thus cheats their souls and he leads them away. But he does it carefully, carefully down to hell. Wow. And behold, others he flatters. Oh, here's the flattery, and this one's important to understand. He flatters others and tells them there's no hell. Well, this hell that he's talking about is the death and destruction. The Because de obviously there's no Latter-day Saint that's not going to believe that hell doesn't exist. That's not what Nephi means. He's going to, he's going to connect hell with this idea of death. And being destroyed. Okay. I am no devil for there is none. In other words, that which you think is evil or that you're doing, that's not bad. And thus he whispers in their ears until he grasps them with his awful chains. From whence there is no deliverance. Yea, they are grasped with death and hell. 
and death and hell and the devil and all that have been seized therewith must stand before the throne of God and be judged according to their works. From whence they must go into the place prepared for them, even a lake of fire and brimstone, which is in this torment. This is pretty serious for the house of Jacob, the people of the Lord. It happened back then and it's happening again. So now he begins to summarize. Therefore, see that this tells us he's going into summary mode. Therefore, summary mode. Now we're pronouncing all the curses. Well be unto him that is at ease in Zion. If you are at ease, meaning if you think things are okay, especially right now after things have gone back to normal right now, everyone's easing up and everything seems fine and it's not, it's not fine. Woe unto such people. Uh, woe be unto him that cries all is well. So first, woe be unto those who feel fine. Second, we'll be into those who are actually crying out. No, no, no. Everything's fine. Shut up. Stop preaching your death and destruction. Yea, woe, curse, be unto him that hearkens unto the precepts of men. So there that is. And denies the power of God, which brings the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And that also brings the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yea, woe be unto him that says, we've received and we need no more. Why is Nephi saying this? Because there is more to come forth. At this time, he just talked about it in 2 Nephi 27. He talked about the stuff that's going to come forth under the children of men. It's actually been talked about um, during his vision in uh, 1 Nephi 13 and 14. It's talked about again when he quotes Isaiah in uh, 1 Nephi 20 and 21. It's talked about again um, in 2 Nephi chapter 3 when Lehi is quoting the prophecy of Joseph of Egypt. It's been brought up a bunch of times, and Nephi's trying to say, you're not going to receive it, because you're going to say, we have all the truth. So this phrase is equivalent to, we have the truth, we have the restoration, we have all that we need, we have all the true scriptures, we have all the restoration, we have the temple, we have our ordinances in the temple, that's all we need to be saved, so we don't need anything else. Well, Nephi says, you're going to be cursed for that. And to wrap up in fine... Woe unto all those who tremble, huge clue, who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. Well, this is linking to that which is good. Angry because of the truth of God is the same as we read up here in verse uh, 20 and also up here uh, just above it to anger against that which is good or that which we saw here being uh, reviling against that which is good and saying it's of no worth and that which is good or that which is true, which we see down here, angry because of the truth of God. This is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which brings us to the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see? For behold, he that is built upon the rock receives it with gladness. Now, the rock is the doctrine of Christ. So, Nephi just confirmed for us. He just confirmed for us. He that received, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. And let's just really quick cross-reference to um, in 3 Nephi chapter 11. And in 3 Nephi chapter 11... The Savior himself confirms what is his rock, which is the doctrine of Christ. So he starts teaching his doctrine. So verse 
starting in verse 31, 3 Nephi 11. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I will declare unto you my doctrine. This is the doctrine which the Father hath given unto me. So it's also the, the doctrine of the Father, and I bear record. So skip, whoso believes in me is baptized, the same will be saved. And that's a full baptism of water, fire, and the Holy Ghost. And that's clarified here. I say unto you that this is my doctrine. I bear record of it from the Father. Whoso believeth in me, believeth in the Father also. And unto him will the Father bear record of me, for he will visit him or baptize him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. There it is. And thus will the Father bear record of me and the Holy Ghost bear record of him. So skip down, repent, repent, be baptized. And then verse 39, here it is. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my doctrine. And whoso buildeth upon this doctrine, buildeth upon my rock. My rock. The rock of Jesus Christ is the way to Jesus Christ. The way to Jesus Christ is the path to Jesus Christ. The path to Jesus Christ has a gate. And you have to enter that gate through baptism of water, fire, and the Holy Ghost. And continue on that path until you reach Jesus Christ. And that's a literal coming into his presence, by the way, in this life. So this is what Nephi is saying. Whoso buildeth upon these teachings of Jesus Christ, the doctrine, builds upon the rock, will receive the truth with gladness. And he that is built upon a soundy foundation, a sandy foundation is not doing his word, doing anything else, or, or being built upon anything else, trembles lest he shall fall. They're angry because you challenge them and you present to them something that's true and it challenges what their traditions are, it challenges what they've believed and they start to shake because what they believe is being challenged and they don't like that shaking so they tremble and they get mad. They get angry because of the truth of God. We see this all the time and you, we will continue to see it more and more and more until they persecute, uh, until even bloodshed, which we will see in a, um, later in a later presentation. Woe be unto him that shall say, we have received the word of God. We don't need any doctrine of Christ. The word of God is the doctrine of Christ. And we need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. Interesting. We have our scriptures. We don't need any more. Well, that's interesting because Nephi spent a lot of time making sure we understood that we would be getting more. For behold, thus says the Lord, I will give unto children of men, line upon line, precept upon precept, here little and there little. And blessed are those who hearken to my precepts and lend an ear to my counsel. So this... Lending an ear to my counsel is hearkening back to Jacob, which a quick cross-reference in Jacob, or sorry, in Jacob's sermon in 2 Nephi chapter 9, Jacob hits it really hard in this same way. 2 Nephi 9 is a companion chapter to this one, chapter 28. It's a huge warning. And if we fast forward... Right here, starting in verse 26, Jacob clarifies who he's talking to and who he's talking about. The atonement satisfi satisfies the demands of justice upon all those that don't have the law. The law is the gospel, the doctrine of Christ, the law of the gospel, that don't have the law given to them, so that they're delivered from the awful monster, death and hell, the devil, lake of fire and brimstone. Interesting. So he says, I'm not even talking about those that don't have the 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 gospel which is endless torment and they are restored to that god who gave them breath which is the holy one of israel but look here but woe cursed unto him that has the law of the gospel given that has all the commands commandments of god like us like us the latter-day saints even and transgresses them 
and wastes the days of his probation for awful is his state. Well, look at what he goes into after that. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. Oh, the vainness and frailties and foolishness of men. When they're learned, now these this learning is not necessarily talking about book knowledge, even though it does apply. It is talking about um, feeling like you're spiritually or religiously learned. So when they are learned, when they have the law given and they think they know better, that's what this learned means. When they are learned, they think they are spiritually wise. And so they don't hearken to the counsel of God. See, look at, hearken to the counsel of God, which is exactly what Nephi is saying here. And Nephi included this sermon for this very reason. Lend an ear to my counsel. Hearken to my precepts. This is what Jacob's talking about. And that's why Nephi's quoting him. They don't hearken to the counsel of God. They set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is actually foolishness, and it doesn't profit them anything. They'll perish. And we're talking about those who perish. Nephi just told us those who perish here, uh, backing up a little bit. That's who perishes. Look, look who perishes. You already see this. Okay. And... Jacob continues, but to be learned is good if you hearken to the counsels of God. Well, the counsels of God are given to us through revelation, through the whisperings of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit. That's how we receive the counsel of God. He has to counsel us in all of our doings. Counsel with the Lord in all your doings. That's through prayer. So Jacob lets us know who he's talking to and who he's talking about. And Nephi is doing the same thing. It's all connected. And if it doesn't all connect, then it doesn't make sense. For unto those of my house that's, that re that receives, I'll give more. But from them that say, oh, we have enough. Well, I'll take away what they have. See? Cursed is he in my house that puts his trust in man or makes flesh his arm, mortal men, his power or strength, or hearkens to the precepts of men. Save, this is the only exception, their precepts are given by the power of the Holy Ghost. So we have to be able to recognize the power of the Holy Ghost. But the problem here, Nephi says, up here, well, verse 26, you're hearkening to the precepts of men. You're denying the power of God. You won't even recognize the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. You won't even accept the gift of the Holy Ghost. You won't even seek it. So right here, verse 31, keys, except their precepts are given by the power of the Holy Ghost. We have to be able to discern. And the Holy Ghost delivers big punches. The word of the Lord, sharper than a two-edged sword. Okay, in fact, let's do a quick cross-reference there so that we can understand this speaking by the um, power and authority of the Holy Ghost means something maybe slightly more different than we thought before. So in section 33 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and we actually get this in several sections, uh, we can see it in a bunch of places, but if we just look right here at the very beginning, I lo right, love this right at the beginning of the section, look. Behold, I say unto you, my servants Ezra and Northrop, open ye your ears and hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, whose word is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Sword is used to destroy and cut. To the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow. Do you think that would feel good? 
Do you think that would feel good for that to pierce you and to divide asunder joint and marrow? That's like breaking joints and breaking arms and snapping heads and killing people. Well, because he wants to kill the natural man is what he wants to do. That's what he's talking about. That's why he's using this sword of the spirit of truth. The spirit is the sword, as uh, Paul tells us. Sharper than a two-edged sword to the dividing asunder joints and marrow, soul and spirit. That makes you to quake and tremble. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When Lehi had his experience in Lehi chapter one, he did not enjoy it. It was not enjoyable. You think that was given by the devil just because he didn't enjoy it? Uh, right at the very beginning, he goes right into it. As he prayed unto the Lord, there came a pillar of fire, which burns, and dwelt upon a rock before him, and he saw and heard much. And because of the things which he saw and heard, he did quake and tremble exceedingly. That's the word of God for you, okay? Not necessarily this gospel of uh, this marshmallow gospel of, of warm fuzzies that the spirit always makes you feel good. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It cut you to the center and show you where you're wrong because Nephi says we're all out of the way. And if we're all out of the way, then the word of God will enter in there and pierce it, rip that natural heart out of your breast so that God can give you a new heart. That's what he's talking about. That is the word of God. That is what Nephi means here. When he says, don't listen to what men say, except their precepts given by the power and authority of the ghost. Some people are getting so lost right now because as they're trying to figure out what's going on, they're like, I don't even know who to trust because I can't trust men anymore. And men wrote the scriptures, so I can't even trust that. Well, those were given by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. We got to be able to recognize. And when we can recognize that, then we know what's truth. We have to be able to discern. So pray with all your might. Pray with all your heart. And whenever answers come, double check with the Lord. Because when answers come, remember here. Let's scroll back up. Remember here that the devil whispers. He says to us. And he whispers in our ears. So we hear the voice of the devil as well. So when you want to understand this, let me briefly dot describe with a little bit of a little bit of description of this idea. The Holy Ghost, the devil, and my own voice. Those are three channels that can speak in our mind. The word of the Lord can come into my mind, and it's gonna be in the sound of my own voice. And my own thoughts come in the sound of my own voice. And when the devil whispers to me, it comes in the sound of my own voice, all in here. Okay, that's important to understand. Because if we don't understand that, then this idea of trying to even know if we're if the devil's speaking to us, we'll never discern. So, so we have three channels. We have God, my own and the devil and it really just it really just sounds like one in this channel in my brain and if you don't practice it'll never differentiate and split but if you will practice and i know some people already came to this earth with a little bit more of this gift but i sure as heck did not and as i've practiced what starts to happen is that these start to separate and and the word of god is a little bit more discernible than my own voice. 
which is a little bit more discernible than the voice of the devil. But we have to practice and we have to check because it all sounds it all sounds like my voice in my head. And this is how the spirit speaks to us. This is how the spirit speaks to us. And and the spirit whispers and the devil whispers. It's all whispering. This is important because you'll never get to what Nephi is saying if you don't practice it and if you don't you don't practice and pray and put all your heart into it, then you're going to struggle. We have to be able to recognize those precepts which are given by the power of the Holy Ghost because there will be true servants that speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And if we don't recognize it, we're going to do what Nephi says they do here. Ah, oh, we've already received it. We have enough. No more. See that? And this is the theme of the next chapter, which we don't have time to go into tonight. But this launches Nephi into his next uh, well, he it's really just a continuation of what he says here, even though it's a new chapter. It's just a continuation of the same thought. So as he wraps it up, woe be unto the Gentiles. Which Gentiles? Well, he already defined which Gentiles he's talking to. The Gentiles he's talking to are the Gentiles that have this word. So it comes upon all the inhabitants of the earth, which includes all the nations of the Gentiles. But upon my house, the Gentiles that have the gospel, it will begin. So these are the Gentiles he's talking to. Woe will be unto the Gentiles, says the Lord God of hosts. Because look at this. For notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out mine arm, which is my messenger, that messenger in Isaiah that is the arm of the Lord. I'll lengthen out my arm unto them from day to day that they will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me. So that is what the house of God, that's the condemnation they're under, is that they're not repenting and coming unto him because they have the gospel in front of them, but they're not getting it. For mine arm, here it is, third time in this verse, third time. Mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, say the Lord God of hosts. Well, well, this all the day long is a reference to this notion in Doctrine and Covenants section 64, Let's pull that up. What is the day? So 64, verse 23 and 24. Behold, now it is called today until the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? And verily it is a day of sacrifice, day of, a day of tithing of my people. For he that has tithes shall not be burned. So this is talking about tithing his people, where one-tenth remains, as Isaiah says. For after today comes the burning. So the burning is the day of burning that we just read here. A day of burning. That's when the, so after today comes tomorrow. Tomorrow's when the burning starts. This is speaking after the manner of the Lord, the day of the Lord. That's the manner of the Lord. For verily I say, tomorrow all the proud and they that do wickedly shall be as stubble. That's again quoting Malachi. We're coming back to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. The day comes, it shall burn as an oven, and all the proud and wickedly shall be stubble. And Nephi quoted that as well. And I will burn them up, for I am Lord of hosts, and I will spare any of my house that will remain in Babylon. Well, how do I know that it's my house? Well, because we have to connect from here when he says, well, on, upon my house shall this day of burning begin. So, all the, when Nephi says all the day long, it's called... Today, 
It's called today until the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what coming? The day of judgment. The day of burning. Okay, the day of burning and judgment. So that is tomorrow. Okay, and all the day long, his arm is lengthened out. His arm of, and that's his arm of mercy, by the way, which is the messenger. The messenger that will come. The end time servant, the servant of the Lord, who comes to set in order the house of God. So that's what that's what Nephi is saying right here. This is what Nephi is talking about. Nephi understands this same concept. And for my arm is lengthened out all the day long. If they will repent and come unto me. Well, we have to come unto him through the doctrine of Christ. So this is Nephi's warning to wake up. And he goes on to... Uh, to, to give an example of turning away the truth of God in chapter 29. And then he goes on to finalize that warning in chapter 30. And then chapter 31, he clarifies what the truth of God is, the doctrine of Christ, in case there's any doubt. In chapter 32, he re-clarifies it. And then he finalizes his words in chapter 33. Nephi is seeing us. He's seeing our day. It matches his. And we need to wake up to it because if we don't, we're going to be in huge trouble. From the beginning of the record of Nephi, all of Nephi's record is about this. It's all about it. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, if there's any questions, we'll do a couple, feature a couple questions here on the live. And if not, we will uh, transfer over to our Q&A. Always join us live if you're missing this live. Know that when we do this live, we have a Q&A and discussion, gospel discussion via Zoom. And you can find that through uh, Doctrine of Christ com slash join and then click on uh, that evening um, 84 anyone else uh, Jeff what was that question referring to 84 uh, maybe 85 is what I meant uh, the one mighty and strong coming to set in order the house of God um, if there are any questions if not then we'll wrap it up great tie to Alma 34 Jeff Oh, 64, right. For the for the day of burning, it is called today. That is 64, 23, and 24. Okay, so any other questions and discussions, join us over there on the Zoom. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please share this uh, with friends and family. Everyone needs to wake up. It's getting late.